Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture editor Ashley Steves. Ashley, we're going to dispense with the banter and formalities mm-hmm. today as obviously the biggest story of the day, whether you are a theater lover or not, is the passing of the great Dame Angela Lansbury, who died on Tuesday morning in Los Angeles at the age of 96. Uh, in the afternoon, her family released the following statement, quote, The children of Dame Angela Lansbury are sad to announce that their mother died peacefully in her sleep at home in Los Angeles at 1.30 a.m. today, Tuesday, October 11, 2022, just five days shy of her 97th birthday. In addition to her three children, Anthony, Deirdre, and David, she is survived by three grandchildren, Peter, Catherine, and Ian, plus five great-grandchildren and her brother, producer Edgar Lansbury. She was preceded in death by her husband of 53 years, Peter Shaw. A private family ceremony will be held at a date to be determined. I think I can speak for everybody who is alive, basically, that their lives have been touched in one way or another by Angela Lansbury, whether that is uh, as a theater lover, as a TV watcher, or as a moviegoer, I'm of the exact perfect age to have been a child when both Murder, She Wrote was on TV. Not that that was something that my parents would let me watch, but I was mm. certainly aware of it. Yeah. And then in that same time period is when the original Beauty and the Beast an- animated mm-hmm. film was released and her voice became really the voice that so many people associated with that film. Totally. Uh, And then as I began to get into musical theater, Sweeney Todd, I have Mm -hmm. an original window card of Sweeney Todd hanging in my bedroom wall. Um, So between that and so many, I mean, I'll run through all of, you know, some of her credits and awards and all those things here in a second. But, but you, I know this kind of hit you uh, being the Sondheim fanatic that you are. Sure. Um, before we get into all of the, you know, her CV, what are you remembering about Angela Lansbury right oh, now? Oh, God, so much. I mean, you mentioned, obviously, Beauty and the Beast. I was a child of the 90s, so that was my first exposure. But after that, it was MAME. I grew up idolizing mm-hmm. and mimicking B. Arthur, basically, still do. And yeah, have listened, yeah, obviously, and have listened to and watched every performance of her and Angela, like it's the air I need to breathe. Um, it, you know, her up on that crescent moon is maybe the most drilled into my brain imagery related to theater, both her and Gloria Swanson and the rubble, those are probably tied. And, you know, the Tony's mm-hmm. Bosom Buddies performance, I think from 1989, was uh, making the rounds over the weekend, which now in retrospect feels kind of prescient, but it's one of those videos that when I see it, I automatically hit play, no questions, pause everything else I'm doing, tell everyone to shut up, I gotta watch it. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Sondheim, obviously I'd be remiss, and I'm including anyone can whistle, and thankfully her bad experience with Arthur Lawrence there did not turn her off from working on future Sondheim shows, which especially Sweeney became so ingrained in both my life and in the canon, both in terms of the show and her performance, especially. She was and remains simultaneously impossible to imitate and also impossible to avoid entirely. I don't think I've ever seen a love it. And hopefully I never do that doesn't have pieces Mm. of her in it. (laughs) That's probably a really apt way to phrase that when you're talking about Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. So, Mm. uh... (laughs) 
Um, let's run through some of the things here. Just like looking at her full body of work. She was nominated for four Academy Awards, winning one. She was nominated for eight Tonys. She has six. Five of them are competitive. One was a Lifetime Achievement Award. She was nominated for 15 Golden Globes. She won six. She was nominated for 18 Primetime Emmy Awards, though she never won. And she was nominated for a Grammy Award. Um, She began her Broadway career all the way back in... um, 1957 in Hotel Paradiso. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you jump forward a few years. She did a, a Taste of Honey, but then, as you mentioned, Anyone Can Whistle in first 1964. Musical. Yeah. First musical. Followed a couple years later by the original production of Mame. Then in uh, she went into Dear World. And then, even though she didn't have a great uh, time with Arthur Lawrence, she returned to another Arthur yeah. Lawrence on time show, although this time a revival, so she probably didn't have to work with, with Arthur in this one, uh, <laughs> as, yeah, yeah, as Madame Rose in Gypsy. Then she was a replacement Mrs. Anna in the 1977 production of The King and I, jumping in for like three weeks, uh, in 1978. And then that leads almost directly just a few months later into Sweeney Todd. In uh, starting in February of 1979, she a couple years later uh, returned to Broadway in a little family business, then a revival of Maine, Maine in 1983. And then it was 24 years before she was back on Broadway again, returning in Deuce in 2007. And then she went on a little bit of, of a run with four shows over the next five years with Deuce. Blythe Spirit in 2009, A Little Night Music again in 2009, Mm -hmm. then Gore Vidal's The Best Man in 2012. She, of course, is one of, I believe, I I think she still holds the record for the most Tony Awards hosted. Um, And she also, at one point, was tied for the most Tony Awards having ever won. She won for Mame, Dear World, Gypsy, Sweeney Todd, and then Blythe Spirit. She won this past year the special award for Lifetime Achievement to give her a total of six Tony Awards. But her career was much more than just the stage. That's obviously what, what we think of her. As, but I mean, even dating back to her first film, Gaslight, which is a, an iconic film at this point. Um, but she was in that. She was in the picture of Dorian Gray, The Three Musketeers in 1948. Um, Court and then, the Court Jester with Danny Kaye, oh, so one of my good. absolute my, yeah. favorites. Same, yes. So good. And then, of course, The Manchurian Candidate in 1962, mm-hmm. the greatest story ever told. Um, and then a show that freaked me the hell out when I was a kid, Bed Noms and Broomsticks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then movie, she did the 1983 yeah. movie version of The Pirates and Penzance, Pirates of Penzance. And then, of course, in 1991, as Mrs. Potts, in, in Beauty and the Beast and then the voice of, of the, the Dowager Empress in Anastasia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then has popped up in a number of things. I think I've, the only time I've ever seen her on Broadway was in Driving Miss Daisy with James Earl Jones. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. She didn't do it on Broadway. She Mm-mm. did the Australian production and I think yeah. I must have seen Vanessa Redgrave, um, with, with James Earl Jones. She will apparently be appearing in Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery that'll be released later yeah. this year. Um, apparently she plays herself, which seems fitting. Um, <laughs> but also, of course, all of the TV stuff that she did. Um, uh, especially, you know, murder she wrote with her 12 year run there. And we can't 
not talk about the um, PBS. I guess it was was it a tour per- product performance of Sweeney Todd with her and George Hearn that has become yeah, so tour. I yeah so iconic in you know all of those shows that have led millions of people to become theater lovers mm-hmm. uh, because of that. And most recently, she was in the. Um, the miniseries version of Little Women back in 2017. Yep. So a career that is hard to match and potentially probably never will be matched. And God, I'm just no. very fortunate that we had her, you know, for 75 years of a career I and, know. And, and nearly a century on the planet. Yeah, a few days short from her 97th birthday, too. I never got to see her on stage. I think that will end up being one of my biggest theatrical regrets, but it never lined up for me. I was planning on and hoping on seeing her, and they were supposed to do a revival of The Chalk Garden. I don't know how many years ago that was by a producer who will not be named on this podcast. Didn't end up happening, and then, you know, didn't end up happening again other than the one night only Oscar Wilde pre-pandemic thing that they did, I think, at American Airlines. Um, yeah, what a loss. What a loss. I think it speaks volumes to the breadth of tributes I saw just before we started recording, which is when it was announced. Um, and the scale it covered, I think everyone had something they connected her to and loved her from be it Sweeney or Mame or Beauty and the Beast or Bed Dobbs and Broomsticks or Murder She Wrote or Manchurian Candidate, any of it. You know, pick a thing and she was well loved so universally and for so, so long. Yeah. Just uh a you know, it's one of those things when somebody is ninety seven years old, like we all feel the loss and we're sad about it. Yeah. But like and also we got ninety seven years. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. she's always been there. Exactly. So you're 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 torn because you know she's lived and led an incredible life, but you're sad for us and for her family. So our thoughts will be with Dame Angela and her family and everybody who will miss her both personally and as the absolute icon. I'm sure that there will be plenty of tributes from the Broadway community. Yeah, those lights will be dimmed. Hopefully, we don't have to do a campaign for that. Oh, my God. Uh, But I'm sure that there will be some sort of celebration of her life in one form or another uh, from the Broadway community in the not-so-distant future. Yes, please. All right. Another sad story here for a lot of uh, different reasons, but Yesterday morning on Tuesday, it was announced that the 2022 Tony winner for Best Musical, A Strange Loop, will end its Broadway run on January 15th of 2023 at the Lyceum Theater. At the time, the show will have played 301 regular performances and 13 preview performances. That will make it the third shortest running Best Musical uh, and I believe mm-hmm. if you throw in the, the previews, cause it only had 13 previews at the second, if you include previews, the second shortest, which is very sad. Um, the show, of course, uh, by Michael R. Jackson was directed by Stephen Brackett and choreographed by Raja Feather Kelly. Um, I think that this there a lot of things conspired against this show. One Absolutely. being that it was very niche and and small and not very flashy, I think mm-hmm. was always going to hurt it. I think coming out of the pandemic hurt it even more. Mm-hmm. The fact that it is undeniably very proud in its blackness and its queerness, mm-hmm. that unfortunately I think limits some of the more puritanical audiences that like to consider themselves theater fans that were never really going to be as interested in this show as they probably should have been. And I think that's sad. I, another thing that I think we've talked about, 
that probably hurt it, to be quite honest with you, is the fact that mm-hmm. very few of these songs can be played outside of the context of the show, both for the fact that they don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, and some of them just content-wise can't be played on a morning talk show. So uh, I think that might have hurt the the marketing of it a bit, but this is a show that I think will live in the history of Broadway for a lot of very important reasons. I don't know that it'll be one that, I don't know, like thrives in the canon outside of New York like some other recent Tony winners will. I think it'll certainly get done regionally at big theaters. I don't think it'll have necessarily the you know community theater runs that other shows sure. have had, but that, that's not the type of show that it is. So I'm It's not the type of show it is it, it, that it is and it's not necessarily maybe even the type of show that it wants to be. But the thing that I really want to say about it is that you did mention that it was a niche show. And I am so grateful for it over the fact that it never Mm -hmm. bent over that. It was completely and rightfully prideful in the fact that it was this big, queer, black musical on Broadway. And it has been vocal about that and never shunned away from that and leaned into that as much as it can and still be uh critically and commercially successful and i love that and you know you talked about how short it was and now makes passion the shortest tony winning best musical um, at 280 performances and 52 previews and Strange Loop, like you said, at 301 performances and 13 previews. These are shows that are critically and, you know, community loved. And I think that's always going to be the case. I don't think the length of how long the show runs ha- says anything about the quality of the show itself. And I know we all know that at this point, but a lot of people don't know that at this point. Yeah. It's, um, a show that I think will have a, a a very important part in a lot of theater lovers' hearts for a long time. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, though, we will not be too far away from getting another Michael R. Jackson musical as, yeah. as the show White Girl in Danger will be premiering off-Broadway next spring uh, as a co-production between The Vineyard and Second Stage. Yeah. That'll have its first performance on March 15th. All right, let's head down to D.C. real quick and let's talk about the Kennedy Center, Broadway center stage production of Guys and Dolls that just started its first performance on Friday the 7th and will run through this Sunday the 16th. I will just kind of talk about a few of these reviews here real quick. Let's start with Peter Marks from the Washington Post. I'm not 100% sure how you would classify this as positive, negative, mixed. You tell me after Mm. I read it to you, Ashley. I'm calling on some higher authority to step in and order a stay of disassembly and to hold the actors led by Jesse Mueller, Philip Asu, James Monroe Eichelhart, and Stephen Pasquale at the D.C. border. Only 10 performances for this magnitude of delight, let alone inspiration. May some exalted eminence hear my plea and preserve this experience, or at least spirit the whole kit and caboodle, set pieces, props, costumes, orchestra, dancers, stars, de woiks. That's how he spelled it to another locale and a future venue did i hear someone mention mention Times square is that a is that a positive is that a that's a positive but man is it overwrought (laughs) i think lord peter i think for a runyon-esque musical i think it kind of actually fits sure why not (laughs) yeah the the 
Dawoiks, which was D-A-W-O-I-K-S. Whatever. Uh, that is very positive. <laughs> I wish I could see it. Um, Melissa same, Rose same. Bernard, yeah, Bernardo from New York Stage Review said, quote, Mueller is a complete delight in a little Mae West-esque playing the bleached blonde hot box headliner Miss Adelaide as a beautiful in body and believable in the sniffle and sneeze-filled Adelaide's lament as she is in the hip-swiveling striptease take back your mink. Sue finds every bit of humor in Sarah who, let's face it, often comes off as a major stick in the mud. And then there's Pasquale oozing charisma from the moment he steps on stage in a perfectly tailored three-piece suit and jaunty, uh, jauntily cocked fedora. Pascal has pretty much born to play the silver-tongued sky. His luck be a lady is a spine tingler from start to finish. The one disappointment is Eigelhart. Perhaps he's still settling into the role or perhaps he's worried about Ooh. mimicking Nathan Lane's memorable performance in the 1992 <laughs> yeah. revival. But anyone who saw Eigelhart's up to 11 turn as the genie in Aladdin knows that he's a com- uh, he's a comic dynamo and he's underplaying and underwhelming as the lovable ham Nathan Detroit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nathan, Nathan Lane casts one hell of a shadow. I was going to say, speaking of actors whose uh, performances are now part of the yeah. canon forever, <laughs> that's yeah. hard to get away from. But we are very vocal about vocal about our love for James on this podcast. So, so I'm sure if we do get a hopeful transfer, knock on wood, that's all the wakes. All the wakes. He'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I did a production of Guys and Dolls five years after that Nathan mm-hmm. Lane revival. Nathan Lane, Peter Gallagher, uh, Faith Prince, and um, oh gosh, I can't remember JK. the woman's name. Oh, that, well, yeah. J.K. Simmons. Yeah. I can't remember who played uh, Miss Sarah. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, it, uh, Nathan's performance was already part of that. Like it was a high school. Pro- I was in high school, but of course, yeah. you can't. You couldn't not do Nathan Lane. My friend Mike Sparacio played Nathan Detroit, and you couldn't not do Nathan. It was impossible. Yeah, you just, exactly. You just had to. Anyway, real quick, let's run through some other news. First up, Second Stage Theater announced that following in the footsteps of its previous production of Clyde's, the upcoming Broadway production of Stephen Adley Gerges' Between Neuroside and Crazy will run its final two weeks of Broadway in a live-streamed format for folks who are unable to get there in New York. The live-stream performances will be done live from January 31st through February 12th. Very much looking forward to that. I plan on seeing it in person, but we'll also yeah, uh, be watching it uh, simulcast. Speaking mm-hmm. of seeing things on screen, yesterday, PBS's Great Performances announced the slate for its 50th anniversary season with a number of theatrically related things as well. Um, there is a uh, a great uh, ballet called um, Black Lady and the Bard. It explores Shakespeare's mysterious love life through the perspective of the dark lady in this work from Nashville Ballet. Then we have the Intimate Apparel musical, or I'm sorry, uh, opera from uh, Lynn Nottage and Ricky Ian Gordon that was done at Lincoln Center. Uh, then we also have Josh Groban's uh, Great Big Radio City show, which will also include uh, performances by Sidney Lauper, Danae Benton, and Tyler Peck. Then we have um, from Shakespeare in the Park, we have Richard III uh, that was directed by Robert O'Hare and starred Denai Guerrera. There are other things, operas and concerts and symphonies and all those things mixed in as well. But we'll have the complete list in the show notes if you want to check that out. But definitely some great theatrical things in there. 
Uh, and then finally, in something that I feel might be a little bit of a copyright infringement, if not at cool. least at least something that we need to talk about. Disney Plus announced yesterday that on December 9th, they will uh, debut a new documentary called oh. Adina Menzel, <laughs> Which Way to the Stage? Yeah. I mean, I understand the reference, <laughs> but there was literally was a play say. called Which Way to the Stage that featured Adina An Menzel prominently. Play. I mean, one let's, of the best things I've seen all year. Co-signed. Uh, yes. And that's what I feel like. If we don't get some sort of reference to that show, I feel like we need to take to the streets. I agree. Because um, I, but, she she did see it too, I believe. Oh, did she? I don't remember yeah, I that. Think but so. very I think I remember seeing that. So, Can you imagine yeah. them doing that show with her in the with audience? Sass? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I, I hope they paid, didn't know. I, I hope they didn't know most ahead of time. Things to be. Oh, I don't know. I kind of wish they did know. Maybe. Uh, I think yeah, that would be way. just straight to the audience performance. Yes. But anyway, so it it will feature never-before-seen footage alongside raw and vulnerable interviews in a documentary that follows Adina on an intimate journey as she juggles the challenges of being a working mom and wife on a grueling travel schedule while preparing to take the stage uh, at Madison Square Garden. Um Good for her. I mean, yeah, good for her. A little, little mad about that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I had I had other feel good recommendations that I will save for later. But what I've done instead is I've collected a bunch of performances from Angela Lansbury, and I will good. put them in links that we've got. Um, little uh, uh, a, a little priest, but what is great about this one is we could have gone with the George Hearn one that I mentioned earlier, but mm-hmm. instead what I did was I found a video of the one that she did with Lynn Carew at Sondheim's 75th anniversary. She was 80 at that point mm-hmm. and still just perfect. One of the Bosom Buddies performances Good. that she did, um, she did a Not While I'm Around performance over in London for one of Sondheim's things. Mm-hmm. Um, Beauty and the Beast with um, I believe Celine Dion and Peebo Bryson uh, performance from Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I've got her singing liaisons from a uh, little night music. I've got her mm-hmm. singing send in the clowns. So tons of things in there to keep your uh, Angela Lansbury tears flowing for a- at least a good half an hour, if not longer. So. What a bloody wonder. Yeah, uh, well done. All right, everybody, that is all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at no, this is Ashley. All right, everybody, have a wonderful, I guess, Wednesday, a hump day. Pour one out for Dame Angela. I'm sure she would appreciate it. And we will be back to talk to you tomorrow. too long. There's only one way to make the bubble stay. Simply travel a new highway. Dance to a new rhythm. Open a new window.